0: Hello and welcome to ladies who london podcast i'm emily
1: dell why do you sing it every week and i'm alex lacey and we are qualified london blue badge tourist guides do i yeah it's cute <laughs> each week we bring to you just cute <laughs> each week we bring to you some of the best bits of london we talk about our favorite people places and events with a bit of information a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun we can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London Podcast and on our websites, guideemily.com. You're getting posher, and alexlacey.com, as well as our dedicated website, ladieswho london.com, uh, for more information about us and what the podcast and Blue Badge is all about and things and stuff and whatever. Yeah. Job done. Job done. That's it. Right. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> Do
0: you know, it's funny that you say that I am sounding more posh because, you know, um, i was born in essex yeah. not saying that you, you can't find posh people in essex because you can um but i spoke to my mum recently and she was like you don't sound like <laughs> emily you don't sound like the emily i know What's going on with your accent <laughs> you're <laughs> becoming londoned <laughs> she's like you're pronouncing words correctly i don't know you anymore <laughs> you get, you're getting
1: posher girl getting posher love it anyway how are you I'm uh, very well. I'm still horse, would you believe? Honestly, oh. my nephews—I don't know what kind of, sort of hybrid disease they were brewing for me. But I'm still horse, so I'm still a bit croaky. But uh, I think it works well for you, though. Does it's, it? Uh, it does. Yeah, uh, it's a good husky. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, you know, if any of our listeners want to write in and, and please don't tell Alex no. that uh, you're enjoying her voice. <laughs> How are you? Um... I'm well, actually. Yeah. Um, I've had a good week. Good. Um, I actually went to the Transport Museum this Ooh, week. Oh, did you? I did, yeah. I was so influenced by Fiona's <laughs> talk last week. And I thought, I've just got to get in there. Aww. And there was so much information about, you know, regarding um connecting to the things that she told us. There was a huge thing on Frank Pick... It's great. It, yeah. It's a really good museum, that actually. It is. I did queue up for about twenty minutes to sit at the front of a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I was really wanted right. to sit and hold the wheel. I mean I was hold- I had oh. Carmen with me, so I was like, oh, Carmen. She just she cannot wait to get on this bus. <laughs> <laughs> she was asleep. <laughs> um but yeah, I thought it was great.
1: Oh, yeah, it's a really good museum. I haven't been there for a while actually. Particularly good for, for small humans. They can kind of piff around all over the place and fling themselves in and out of buses and uh yeah exactly get themselves into a taxi into an old
0: original tube train it was fantastic you can drive Maybe the tube train as well can't you yeah and it's quite deceiving from the outside the transport museum looks tiny and then you go in it's like oh, god bloody hell where yes. where has That's this been it. hiding like i know. and the gift
1: shop is a thing of beauty anyway let, this, this isn't an ad, this isn't a promo it's just it is what it is we
0: love it it is what it is love it and actually we have had a message uh, from um, uh, somebody who does not want to be named he who shall um, not be named he shall not be named um uh, say thank you so much for um, talking about Frank Pick because it was his pick, and you know he was telling us about um, how his he sees himself as a, um, a bit of a geek when it comes to um, anything kind of transport related. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was he was very happy. So thank you for a great pod and introducing Pick to a wider audience. He is a silent hero and deserves a wider acknowledgement of his work
1: oh he really is actually he really is and mm. I, I think Fiona did him definitely uh, very much you know justice last week she did um, brilliant and we've had another um, email from somebody related to last week's podcast from Rowena mm. who um, said that she's a bit of a tube fan as I think a lot of Londoners are and she said she was lucky enough to get up onto the roof terrace of the original TFL building, so the one that's on by um, St. James's Park. Um, she said a family member used to work there. Not only is the view amazing, and she sent us some photos, which, mm, yeah. uh, Marina, we, if, with your permission, we'll share on our Instagram. Um, the architecture inside and out is amazing. The staircase has old maps of the underground on the walls, the precursor to the now infamous design. The doors are ornate and heavy, the windows single-glazed and drafty, which is one of the reasons TFL moved out as I think it's listed unsure if grade one or two I think did um, Fiona say it was grade one last week I can't mm. remember so, um, so super tricky to refer into a modern office space and she uh, tootled off to get some more photos um, so uh, yeah thank you for Arena for that and the photos you sent are brilliant I mean the views are I mean you can see Westminster Abbey you can see the roof of the um, whatchamacallit the, the Methodist Central Hall and the London yeah, Eye I mean a f- phenomenal view. so uh, we uh, yeah we'll try and share them if if Rowena consents to that, because they were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, thanks so much for that, Rowena. Um, and we have one shout-out this week. Um, he, he hasn't actually asked for a shout-out, but he left us a really lovely review. We don't normally read reviews, but one popped into the inbox and, like, sort of randomly read it and there was like, oh it's rather nice so it's from uh, matthew of massachusetts massachusetts that's america massachusetts, babe that's america isn't it um and he said that he was looking for something with a history base and he and um and he, he found this and he loves us and um he said he and his uh, boyfriend are hoping to come over for the jubilee should everything go to plan mm-hmm. um and was uh quite scathing about his own his own facts he said i will be butchering all the facts but never mind um so yeah hopefully you do manage to get over uh matthew because that would be lovely um to see you and thank you so much for listening and thanks for your lovely review gosh that is isn't it thank you so much wow massachusetts babe Uh, massachusetts how exciting um i think that's all we've got for shout outs for this week so let's push on to podcast pedestal Let's do it, babes. Let's Let's get get in there. Let's dive in. Can you remind everybody what
0: the deal was for Podcast Pedestal last week? Yes. So, well, we were talking about Frank Pick. We were talking about all things underground. Um, And you went for the roundel. I did. Can you tell the lovely
1: listeners why? Um, Well, I went for the roundel because it is one of those things that is so kind of classically well i said london underground and then fiona rightly said actually it's kind of emblematic of london so if people see it around the world we might think london underground but actually a lot of people will think london and i'd seen it on my travels around the world in in like i say, india and nashville and i can't remember where else um and for me it was just that was the you know the thing that says London Underground to me. So very iconic. What about you? Um, I went for the font. You did, you did. Which is also pretty iconic. Very iconic.
0: And, you know, it's... We take it in so many times a day you know when you're travelling around London you're passing through certain tube stations it's there, London yep. Underground Piccadilly Line um, you know wherever you're going, Cockfosters High Barnet uh, you know where... <laughs> Sorry, it's why in High Barnet? My, my, my nan lives there <laughs> Cockfosters, my nan used to live there um, <laughs> shout out to my nan um, <laughs> yeah I just thought it was a great pick
1: So, which way do you think it's gone this week? I will tell you, it's jolly close. (laughs) Is it jolly uh, for me? Um, No. No. Oh. It's 56 for me and 44 to you, I'm afraid. Oh, that is jolly close. That is jolly close. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so it's 3 1. 3 1. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I mean, that to be very, fair, where that am was I? it was it was a great choice. And when you said the font, I was like, oh, damn it! Um, I did think I when I wrote the
0: poll, I thought it's bound to be the font. You know, if you look at that, you know, you probably haven't really got too long to decide before the next story appears. So it's like the round or the font, obviously the font. Um, but you just just
1: got there, a couple <laughs> of steps ahead. I know. Well done thank you fantastic job this week thank you very much thank you very much so it is my pick this week for something to talk about and we had a a, a topic suggestion come in from grace a few weeks ago who grace is also in america in san francisco american fans yeah fantastic hello welcome um so um grace had said that she said Um, She comes from a family of generations of jewellers, and they create custom fine jewellery for customers of all classes in Northern California. They've always got a story behind the reason for commissioning the pieces, and needless to say, every time I'm in London, I visit the Crown Jewels. My idea is I'd like specific stories behind certain pieces in the exhibit. I'm sure there are juicy ones. The juicier, the better. Ooh. Grace. Squash those grapes. Grace, we've got a juicy story for you Whoa.
0: Week. We've got a juicy
1: story. Now, when we talk about the crown jewels, um, and whenever, you know, Emily and I, we, we go to the Tower of London and we see the crown jewels more, I mean, more than most things we guide, right? I we, see them more than my mum. Yeah, definitely. Um, see them more than my own jewellery collection, which is... <laughs> fake anyway so <laughs> yeah a haribo ring yeah exactly it's pretty much like you know one that gets smaller the more you, the more that you eat it but yeah um so i thought we would go for one particular bit in the crown jewels whenever you go to the crown jewels people are always surprised that they think it's just crowns and bling. And it is, but there's other stuff in there as well. There are swords, there is clothing, there is, um, oh, there's also like gold-plated plates and candlesticks and this, that, and the other. Spoons. There are crown spoons, there are crowns, there are gems, and I mean, just so much stuff. So it's almost hard to single something out, except I have, because there is... One gem in there, just the one diamond we're going to look at this week, which is called the Cohenor Diamond. Ooh, do you think you could run a little sound
0: sound effect of uh, you kind know of something glistening, twinkly, twinkly?
1: Okay, well let let's see if I can.
0: There we oh, go. That's beautiful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you can't, that's just if I can't, that's dead air.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which could also be beautiful. Yeah, probably, carry on.
1: Probably more likely. So. In amongst the bling of all of these crown jewels, we have the Or diamond. You know the Or diamond, don't you? Where where can we find it? Where is it? Where can you see it? So the Or diamond can be found on the Queen Mother's crown.
0: Yeah. And pop quiz: How many carats is it? Oh, Alex, <laughs> I know that the Cullinan is five hundred and thirty points. Yeah, I'm not asking about the Cullinan. Is it? It's like a hundred and eighty
1: no 152. 105 105.6 if we're going to be precise about this oh, kind there of thing okay okay right <laughs> but to be fair when it was originally found well originally before it was cut down to the way it was today it was around the 190 so i'm going to give you some points for that oh there we go, there we That's, go. That, you know the, yeah and do you know what curry means
0: the light of india not quite Oh no! What
1: is it? It's um. Ah, oh, it's the light, isn't it? Yes, it's light. light. Yeah, it's the mountain of light. The mountain of light, mountain of light. Oh. in Persian. That's the, that's the name in Persian. So in amongst all of this stuff, and like you say, we've got the Cullinan diamond, which is a casual 530 uh, carats, which is the largest cut diamond in the world. The Koh-i-Noor is a mere 105. However, however, whatever I know, whatever, whatever. Um, Come for the big one, stay for the the tiny little one. But this one is a very famous one. It's reported to have a curse on it. We're going to come back to that. (gasps) Juicy. Now, if you were to sort of have a list of all of the large diamonds in the world, where do you imagine the Kohi is going to come on that list? I think it's probably going to be kind of top 20. It's number 90. Oh, is it? Yeah. So it's a lot further down wow. the list than you might think. And this is what is kind of interesting about it: is that it's, it, you know, it's actually not one of the most, the largest, the most kind of headline grabbing, and yet it's one of the most famous diamonds in the world, alongside the Hope Diamond. Really, it's it, those are the two, the really, really, you know, big names. Mm-hmm. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Very good place to start. Um, it is believed to have the longest history for any stone that we still have today that hasn't been lost or whatever or chopped apart Um, and we don't quite know how long its history is but we do know that it's been knocking around um, India and Pakistan and places for the best part of 600 years or so it comes from India and it's what's called an alluvial diamond, meaning that it rather than digging, you know, going and kind of hacking apart the rock to find the diamonds. This is one that has been um, erosion over the years, has, has removed it from the rock naturally. And it's kind of been deposited somewhere else, like a riverbed or a shoreline or something like that. So that's so you can kind of find these alluvial diamonds from sifting the sand and the earth rather than digging into the into the rock to find wow. them. And they're still found today? Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and India used to be the world's very first source of diamonds until Brazil found diamonds in the 1700s. So India, as a result, was pretty much, the, they were the biggest gem experts for centuries. They wrote texts about them hundreds of years ago. These were the guys who were finding the diamonds and they weren't being found anywhere else in the world. So... um, one of the things is that the Indian courts used jewellery a lot more than they did clothing. We've talked about um, the uh, God, what do we talk about? Uh, Elizabethan sumptuary laws, where you know you you kind of in, in the UK where you where you were in society, where your hierarchy was 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 dictated. Um, well, shown rather in what you wore. However, Indian the Indian court was a lot different. They actually used jewellery more than clothing to show their place in the hierarchy and they would wear it and that kind of thing. And they'd be covered, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, these big diamonds and these big gems and actually certain different areas of what is now India and Pakistan, um, some preferred diamonds, some preferred coloured gems, it, it they varied in kind of importance. We don't quite know when or where the koh i was found. There is a whole variety of stories some say that it was mentioned in texts as far back as 3000 years BC well, although well. the evidence for that is slightly unconvincing and a lot of experts say it's not that's not true i mean one of the reasons is because the Or is so notorious that whenever a large diamond or a cursed diamond, for example, is mentioned in relation to India in ancient texts, everyone just kind of assumes it's the Koh-i-Noor when actually there's there's a whole ton of different diamonds that it could be. Oh, I so see. It, it all kind of gets a bit mixed in and so we don't really know. And what's interesting is that the Koh-i-Noor is not a one-off diamond. It has two sisters who are very, very similar. There's the Darya-i-Noor, Which means the Sea of Light. Uh, And that is now in, I believe it's in Tehran. And that is somewhere around the 180 carat, 190 carat mark. Is it in a crown or a a necklace? Do you know? know? I have to say, I don't know exactly where it is, I'm afraid. That's okay. The other one is. (laughs) Thank you. The other one is the Great Mughal Diamond. And that is um, believed to be now under the name of the Orlov Diamond. And that's about 100, again, about 180, 190 carats, Mate, which is... look at your
0: diamond knowledge. I mean,
1: you know... Get yourself to Hatton Garden. Absolutely. Got to love a bit of bling. <laughs> um, so, originally, when the curry noor was, was being used in India, she was about the same size as the other. So, she was around the 180, 190 carat mark. So, they were very right, similar so in they size. Were, yes. So, yeah. so, it's now in three, but so it was... All
0: together, no, no, no,
1: no, there were three different diamonds. Oh, three different diamonds. The Kohinoor was one of them. All together, oh, I see, okay. So they're each around 180, 190 carats, right? All found at the same time. We don't know. Oh, okay. What I'm talking about is kind of knocking around the Indian court system and India and Pakistan and places are three diamonds, very similar in size, very similar in weight, very similar in look. So when we have this thing about the Kohinoor, it's actually not a unique diamond. There are others that are very similar and mm. it's more the history of the, of the diamond which is what, what gives it its notoriety. Okay. So we think we think that it was probably most likely found somewhere between 11 and 1300 AD. Isn't that mad? I mean to be yeah. able to go into the crown jewels in the Tower of London
0: and look at that diamond and think gosh the amount of different people that have touched it and
1: looked at it and thought about it is yeah. astonishing. Yeah. And in particular, you know, when you say how many people have seen it, millions, billions Mm. of people have possibly seen it. Mm. Because, you know, if you think about the number of people that go to see the Crown Jewels every year, Mm -hmm. and it went on show when it first came to England as well. Before it was placed into the Crown? Before it was placed into the Crown, yes. Which I'm going to come on to very shortly. Um, Now, if you think about it, so this has been knocking around for best part of well we think around 600 years possibly longer um the one that you mentioned earlier the cullinan diamond which is in or cullinan one anyway which is in the scepter was only found in 1905 Mm. so it's actually quite a modern find Mm. whereas the Noor has been around for a lot longer and this is what's quite interesting so the first time we sort of hear about it um, or in the first texts are in the kind of 1600s. We do know that it was stolen from uh, what is now India by the Mughals, who or the Mughals, who came and invaded India in the 1500s. They ruled large parts of India and Pakistan in the 16th and 17th century. Um, they brought and settled um, Islam into South Asia, and they spread kind of, you know, Muslim arts and culture and faith. Mm-hmm. Although they were in charge of a country that had a large Hindu majority so it's quite an interesting sort of period but they basically whipped it they they pilfered it um they then cut it down and it was about the size of an egg um so this is what you know the majority of the story before it comes to England it's this 190 odd um, size what we then have is one of the the rulers of the Mughal um empire a ruler called Shah Jahan and Shah Jahan, now the Mughals, I mentioned earlier that not everybody dime, uh, prizes diamonds as the most important gem. The Mughals actually prized coloured gems, so rubies, sapphires, oh. that kind of thing, over oh. diamonds. However, Shah Jahan decided he was going to have this incredible gem encrusted throne, like kind of Game of Thrones style, but with gems made. Wow. And it took seven years. <gasps> And I have read a report that it cost more to make than it cost to build the Taj Mahal. What the hell? Where is it now? Where is this chair? Uh, Well, I don't suspect that it exists anymore. Oh, unless it's just
0: kind of like, you know, all of the gems have been cut out. You've just got all of these voids. I don't know for definite, but I,
1: I think that's what might have happened to it. Because we know that at the very top of this chair, there was a peacock made up of all these different gems and the Koh-i-Noor was at the very top in the head oh, of the peacock was it now yeah. and at this point
0: it's the size of an egg
1: yeah oh my
0: god so can you it's imagine hefty, like sitting it. on this chair be like send him in and you go in. you're just dazzled by the ding, ling, ding. I feel like I need like, a, a gem encrusted throne I think we all a need gem a gem encrusted, encrusted I mean yeah I mean I'd be happy with just the image of a peacock on top of my chair but just like whoa <laughs> rubies, emeralds, and then a like hundred and ninety odd gosh. carat diamond at the top. Wow. Can you imagine like Unreal. being a servant to to the guy who owns the chair and you just like take a little cheeky <laughs> bit, just little kind of standing
1: chipping, the bit off. <laughs> Look over there, my lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want that emerald, do you? <laughs> I know. Oh. It would be I mean, you could it it does feel very sort of epic Hollywood movie looking, doesn't it? Wow. I mean, Unreal. you couldn't
0: wear your pyjamas while sitting on that chair. Or to be honest, maybe you could. Maybe you could wear anything. Maybe you'd you make wear silk
1: pyjamas. I mean, well, quite. <laughs> maybe you'd just be like, hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> no one's looking at the guy on the chair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. There are other things there to look at. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you have this massive, huge big throne that was made and, and it, it would have been incredible. And then when the Mughal Empire falls, the... Um, koh diamond is pinched by the t- chap that, that sort of defeats them and takes over, a Persian ruler called Nader Shah. And this is where he takes the diamond and those other two ones that I mentioned, um, takes them to an area that's sort of kind of where Afghanistan is today. Okay. And all all of those diamonds were out of India for best part of 70, 75 years. Wow. So Are that huge koh i carrying them around. I mean... I suspect you had people to do that for you. <laughs> like, yeah, true, yeah. What have you got in your pocket? <laughs> it's, is that a koh in your pocket? Or are you just pleased to see me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, so this this diamond, so the koh diamond ends up going through a whole variety of different hands in, in quite bloody ways. You know, people are, you killing each other to sort of get their hands on it's this diamond. Indiana this Jones, isn't I it? I mean, it really is. It really is. And eventually, after about 70 years or so, the diamond comes back into India, and it ends up in the hands of a chap called Maharaja Ranjit Singh. And Ranjit Singh is a very famous, even to this day, and a very mighty ruler of, of North India. He was a ruler for nearly 40 years. He was known as the Lion of Punjab. Whoa, I mean, yeah. what a title. I know, absolutely. And he was a very, I mean, he still is a very beloved ruler mm. um, for the Sikh empire that was there okay. at the time, uh, in the Punjab. So uh, there are a lot of Sikh people who still know the name Ranjit Singh and they're still very, you know, we re- kind of really have him in their heart because he was he he was a ruler over a time that was because he was such a great ruler, it was a, a real time of peace and prosperity. Mm. Very, very popular. Um and so he managed to get this diamond back and he preferred diamonds to rubies. So suddenly the Komi Noor is now, you know, the 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 jewel in his kind of gem box i guess if you like um and it's in his hands that it starts to take on this famous legendary status mm. plus diamond prices were growing a lot at the time so you know that's that's one factor but also new cuts are being invented as well. Um, and there's a new cut that comes in called the brilliant cut. And it's said to release the fire inside every diamond. And this leads a fashion for diamonds and particularly diamond engagement rings. This is where this kind of fashion uh, comes in from. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, yeah. To
0: think that, uh, that di- diamonds hasn't always been at the top of the the the, the gem chain. Yeah. It's, uh,
1: yeah. Depends who you talk to, or, or you know who's who's involved as to whether that's the most important one. Or it is, it's yeah, it's really interesting because you sort of assume, don't you, from a Western sensibility, like oh, everybody loves the diamond, but actually there's other things there that, that people prize higher. And yeah. yeah, okay, so you've got this brilliant cut going on. Yep. So you got, well, no, that it, it hasn't had this brilliant cut. The, okay. the diamond is is remained as it had been cut by the Mughals. Um, but these cuts, this brilliant cuts come in and is making diamond. They're making diamonds really fashionable in Europe right. uh, and America and places like that. So, um, so this whole thing of, of big diamonds and, and flashy diamonds are are becoming a thing. So you have got Ranjit Singh on the throne, being a awesome dude, and you know with this lovely diamond. And then, in come the people that ruin it for everybody across the world. Who is it? The Johnsons. <laughs> I mean, yes, in a way. It's us. It's the Brits. Oh, of course Yay. it is. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Well, that's not going there. Um, so, yeah, we decide that we want a bit of all this action. We're expanding our empire. Ugh, ugh, I just hate talking about empire because it's just, it's so, the ugh, the implications of empire and the legacies are horrible. Anyway, as we know, Britain's expanded particularly in India. the uh, British East India Company they are gaining ground and they're gaining power and one of the only places that is sort of pushing back against them and is not allowing them to just ride roughshod over everything is the Punjab under Ranjit Singh Um, he is he's kind of working with the Brits in uh, in a way of being able to then push them back and say look I will kind of not make life hard for you, but also, you know, naff off type thing. Mm. So he's very, very successful in in keeping the British out of the Punjab. And all of this changes when Ranjit Singh dies. Now, his kind of dominion, the, the, the area that he ruled over, was going to be succeeded, but he had a whole variety of family members that were coming into the line of succession. And essentially, which is really awful, because after this fabulously kind of peaceful process, prosperous rule that he had, all of his successors decide they're going to try and off each other to try and get their hands on the throne. Mm-hmm. And it becomes this kind of Game of Thrones-y and again style. Not that I've ever seen it, but I just know everybody it's dies. So, you know, um,
0: I'm, I'm sure, you know, a, a lot of films, a lot of scripts have been influenced by this.
1: Oh, almost certainly. Almost certainly. Mm-hmm. And so they're all kind of killing each other to get their hands on the throne. And when the dust settles and everyone kind of looks around, there is nobody left except a five-year-old young prince called Duleep Singh. And Duleep Singh, being the only uh, male heir left, becomes ruler at the age of five. Wow. Now, of course, being five, not an ideal age to be a ruler. No, so his needs a little bit of help. A little bit of help. His mother kind of oversees his rule. Okay. And to kind of give you a sense of where the story's going, Duleep Singh is going to be the last ruler of the Punjab and Sikh empire.
0: Wow.
1: So nice. I think we know where this is going. Yes. So the Br- uh, the British East India Company, they see a chink in the armour here. They go, right, Ranjit Singh's gone. Everyone else is dead. It's a five-year-old boy overseen by his mother. We're moving in. So they do. They move yeah. in. And they realise that if they just removed um, Dilip Singh from the throne, it would spark a massive rebellion. So they kind of went in... Slightly, I don't know how to say it, I guess I get a bit sort of Machiavellian, if that's a word, skillfully, yeah. um, slyly, I think slyly is probably the word. Okay. Went in and they said, look, um, w- why don't you sign a treaty with us um, which will help us out? But when you become 18, we will then leave and let you get on with stuff. You know, we'll be kind of friends and we'll help each other out. You need help to be king. We need help to do stuff that we want to do. Um, And then when you become 18, we'll just go, okay, cool, fabulous, off you go. Enjoy being a ruler. Really? Yeah, exactly. Right? Really? Really, Britain? Exactly. So, of course, this doesn't happen. They... He does sign this treaty, um, overseen by his oh, mother. No, I and know. his mum's just like, yeah. They're, they're, no, she's me. not. She's she's forced oh, into it. You she's, know, she's yeah, forced. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, she's forced into it. And they essentially they amass troops and they stage a takeover. This is uh, what is then known as the Second Anglo Sikh War. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of that, partly because I don't really know too many of the details, but also it's not quite where we're going to go for the story. But one of the worst things they did is they split Duleep Singh up from his mother. He's only nine by this point. And they oh, split yeah. him up and he is never going to see his mother again. I oh. know, oh it's, it's really awful. Where do they send him? Well, now, interestingly, what happens is he's about 10 or 11 when they bring him into the mirrored hall at the Great Fort in Lahore. And this little kind of 10 or 11 year old boy, clearly very frightened, uh, but apparently very dign- dignified as well. And he was forced to to sign a formal act of submission now what this means is that he's giving up his treaty uh, sorry giving up his kingdom and his riches now this is where it it, i mean the whole thing's pretty grubby let's face it but in the treaty there is one whole clause about the kohenor diamond so essentially it's a spoil of war East oh, India, India Company goodness. are taking over and they are forcing him to give up this prized possession that's been handed down through generations, oh, been fought over so for centuries. Sad. Oh, it really is. It really is. So, um. Sorry, can I just ask as well? Yeah. Did you say the mirrored hall? The mirrored hall, yeah. In the so fort it, that was there, the great fort. He's surrounded by mirrors whilst having to. Yeah, it was a bit like, you know, the Hall of Mirrors at, at Versailles, I guess, you know, that kind of thing of. of it's, it's a fabulous, you know, it's, it's a royal residence essentially. Wow, what a visual. Um, this yeah. poor nine year old, you know, he's looking at himself from
0: all angles yeah. and he's being made to give over absolutely everything yeah. and he's lost his mother. Yeah. It's Stabble. unreal, isn't it? It's really yeah, it unreal. Really is. I'm now thinking, like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of it in the Queen Mother's Crown and it's just, uh... anyway, I'll
1: let you finish. <laughs> well, so what we'll do is we'll pick up the story of the diamond. But I just want to tell you a little bit more about what happens to Dilip Singh because you asked yeah. what happened. And yeah. um so, having done this, having been well, being forced basically to abdicate and sign this treaty, he's then banished from the Punjab, so banished from his own land, and he's sent to a Scottish couple who are living elsewhere in India, and he lived with them. They brought him up to become an English gentleman. They taught him uh, to speak English fluently um, he started reading the Bible and aged 14 he converted to Christianity. I mean it's all a bit um, and then Queen Victoria had heard stories about this exotic young man um, who was said to be apparently he was very beautiful and one hearts you know everywhere. And he was Indian, but with English manners. And you know this is kind of like a curio for her. And she's like, oh, this is so exciting. And um, a man with brown skin who who talks and walks and dresses like an Englishman. And at age 15, he asks to visit England. Uh, Queen Victoria grants it, and he leaves for the UK and comes to court, is an instant hit at court, particularly with the Queen, becomes best buds with her son, Bertie, who will later be Edward VII. And then he marries and buys a country estate in Suffolk, And then he has a daughter. Well, he has a couple of kids, actually. His daughter is Sophia Duleep Singh. Now, do you remember her story? I did it on Global Tea Break, and this might be one that we pick up again in the future. Sophia Duleep Singh grew up in the UK. She's essentially an Indian princess, and she was a suffragette as well. She is amazing. Amazing. But I, but we can't talk about her today. I think we talk no, about her on another day. No, let's definitely
0: do an episode. But if on you, her. if
1: anyone is interested in Sophia e. Duleep Singh, if you go onto my Instagram and go back through my IGTV videos, I did a whole chat about her um, a year or so ago. So have a look there. But I'm sure we'll do her again in the future because mm. she's fascinating. So what? Now what then happens? Oh, it's, God, it's so it's just so miserable. So he, Sophia Duleep Singh, ends up being goddaughter to Queen Victoria. Duleep Singh. Um, ends up. He kind of hangs out with Bertie quite a lot, and then when he hits, I think sort of around his forties, he starts to rebel against. Essentially, he kind of starts thinking critically about everything the Brits did to him when he was a kid. Well, of course, totally understandably. Absolutely, and he kind of goes goes off the rails a bit. He tries to move his family out of uh, the UK, and then he basically dumps them at the port. And runs off, dumps
0: oh, uh, his
1: family, dumps his family at the port, oh. and then just and runs off. And he tries, he tries to go back to India. And I can't remember if he actually gets back to India, but basically he dies in Paris, penniless oh and quite God. young. Oh, it's it's, it's a horrible story. Why does he leave story. his family at the port? He get, he, I mean, he basically the whole thing is that he gets very. He, he doesn't
0: he, know he who finds, he is. He find, yeah,
1: he finds the whole thing incredibly hard to deal with. Once he's sort of he's grown up, and then he's start, you know, because when you were 11 14 you're not really thinking quite as critically as you might so in later age it comes it's to him true. and he goes wait hang on what and he really he's suddenly like hang on I've lived in England for 20-30 years I've been this is my life this is where I am but this they did this to me and it, it it's you know it's a really awful awakening for him
0: oh god it would wouldn't it because yeah, yeah. even though you've got your family the reason why you have those particular people in your life is because of something awful that's happened
1: yeah, he, wow. he starts to kind of get um he starts to get a bit bitter and he he basically tries to take his family back to the Punjab, to kind of reclaim his his territory his birthright, mm. um and they were stopped at the port en route and they were arrested and um mm. and so he just then leaves the family and goes off on his own. It's just God, really awful. a Very sad story. <laughs> really so he dies. He dies in Paris, penniless. In Paris, yeah. Oh, where's he buried? It's a good question. I don't know. I suspect Paris, but. Hello, gang. This is Alex from the following day. I have done some digging. He appears not to be buried in Paris at all. He was brought back to Suffolk. If you remember at the start of the podcast, I mentioned that he bought a manor house in Suffolk in a place called Elvedon. And that is apparently where he is buried in the... I have to say, I'm not sure. I might have to do some digging in that. So, that's Duleep Singh. So by this point, this is where Duleep Singh and, and the diamond kind of split up they're going to come back together very briefly okay so this diamond um when he signs this this act of submission the diamond is and i'm doing the uh, quotation marks gifted to queen victoria (laughs) um it's sent from mumbai then it was called bombay on a ship which the ship's called the medea it arrives in portsmouth and it's presented to the queen in 1850 Some reports say that there was also a little note with it, reminding it of its curse. Now, we've not spoken about the curse yet. Um, The curse, well, the the writing that's said to have been with the diamond is that it goes such, he who owns the diamond will own the world, but will also know all its misfortunes. Only God or woman can wear it with impunity. Now, the thing is, this curse wasn't really a thing until it came to England. There's... Thoughts that it might have been made up by the papers. You know, they are trying to kind of curry a bit of favour and and get a bit of hype going because it's coming over and they're going to show it to the public and papers want to sell. And then there were reports that as the the gem was coming over on the ship, that the ship was battered by storms and there were outbreaks of cholera. And this kind of plays into the whole curse thing. Right. What do you think? Do you think it's cursed? I mean... I, I don't think the gem is necessarily cursed. Oh, yes, it is, <laughs> Come on, tell the listeners what they want to hear. It is cursed. I do, I, I do think the whole, you know, being a Maharaja in India in Victorian era was definitely a cursed thing to be. But I don't like the gem itself necessarily. Anyway, so when it arrives, Queen Victoria is given this gem. And she's apparently very impressed with the size of it, but the sparkle is not quite up to her liking. Are you serious? I know. At the time, they people preferred sparkle over size. So, you know. Right. Okay. And at this point, it's still the size of an egg. Still is about the size of an egg. large egg, but yeah. Because um, it's not much smaller than an egg now. But anyway. So, uh, she decided that Prince Albert is... is creating this great exhibition which is going to happen a year later in 1851 and it was decided that they're going to show the diamond at this great exhibition and when it was opened it was in its own case it was in its own sort of it was specially commissioned you know um chubb who do the locks the very still very famous for security now they did this kind of high security glass safe um, which was then locked within a metal cage and that's how people viewed it and the queues that were of people that were, were, were queuing up to see it snaked all the way through this crystal palace through the park and wow. hundreds of thousands of people came to see it and it was a bit of a flop <laughs> oh was it people it was. weren't impressed people were not that impressed people thought that it was really quite simple there was one press report that called it the mountain of darkness oh bloody hell it's oh. not sparkly enough oh, and one um out of 5 the t- i know right uh, the Times said that uh, it heard people saying that, you know, that they couldn't really distinguish it from a bit of, of common glass. Oh, well, do you know what? Maybe it was. Maybe they didn't
0: actually put the real thing in there. I no, mean, I believe they, they did. Oh, did
1: they? They did. Yeah. But what it meant is that, you know, it kind of justified what Queen Victoria had thought about it when she'd seen it. So Albert was like, fine, I'll get it recut. And he had it recut and polished. And it was done by Garrards of London, the um, the diamond um, merchant in London. And do you know who did the very first cut in the diamond? Was it De Beers? No. It was the Duke of Wellington. Oh, he gets around, doesn't it he? Does. But bear in mind, this diamond is a symbol of empire. It's a symbol of, you know, Britain's dominion over everybody. So, of course, it's going to be one of the big military heroes going, aha, let's make something from a, a, a territory that we... Invaded. Let's make it the way we want it. But anyway.
0: God, bloomin' hell. So no. the first cut. What
1: did he do? It with his like big sword or something. Oh no, I wouldn't have thought so. You can't cut a diamond with that. Well. It would have been with whatever tool, you know. The norm. <laughs> <laughs> Famously, diamonds not like butter. <laughs> Watch out, guys. Clunk. Chipping I don't it. I think it goes. she wanted
0: that much off, actually.
1: <laughs> anyway. um... So yeah, so he, start, he he does the first cut, and it all gets it all gets cut down, and it's made to about half the size that it was originally. So this is when it becomes the 105.6 carats that we know it today. It's about half the size, but the stone is much more brilliant. So the light can kind of refract through it a lot better. It becomes incredibly sparkly. Because um, it is, isn't it? It is oh, like, it is. you know,
0: it's one of those pieces that you don't really have to move your head too much for it to really glisten. Like
1: just looking yeah. at it whilst it's still, it's like
0: ding, 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 it ding, is, it ding, It is a ding.
1: wow, a yeah. wow thing to see in yeah. the collection. It's so many colours. Beautiful. Yeah, just gorgeous. So this gem is a bit smaller now. um, It's a bit more manageable, which means that Queen Victoria can wear it as a brooch. Casual casual brooch, you know. So what happened to the bit that came off? To be honest, I don't know what they do with bits that they chip off. It, I I, oh, I don't know. I, I guess he d- put it in his back pocket. Yeah, probably. Well, it, it I don't know whether you'd sort of, sh- I mean, there might be people out. Like, in fact, um, Grace, who messaged in, given that she's from a line of jewellers, might be able to tell us. Um, I know that when you cut diamonds down, for example, the Cullinan diamond, lots of the chips from that went into other um, crowns. But that was a 2000 no or 3000 carat diamond at the start um so whether or not you just shave bits off i mean i guess you get diamond dust don't you so i, I don't know what mm. the other bits where the other bits went but i mean it's a good chunk to be to be cut off um there is a very famous portrait actually of queen victoria by Francis xavier winterhalter winterhalter Winterhalter, winterhalter who does quite a few portraits portraits of her and it's sh- it, it does show her wearing it as a brooch. Right oh. in the middle of her knocker jiggers. Right there. Oh. Yeah. Get a bit of attention. Absolutely, you know. Especially when you're four foot eleven. Gotta to, gotta to get the attention to the girl somehow, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now Okay.
0: Next time I see you, you're gonna be wearing a brooch there, aren't you? <laughs> Take someone's eye out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, now there are Duleep Singh does see see the diamond once more. So after Queen Victoria's had it cut, she has it brought from the tower to show Duleep Singh the, the, the stone as it has just been cut. And she said that she wanted to see if he thought it had been improved with the new cut. Some people said they reckon there might have been a bit of guilt there, that she didn't feel entirely comfortable with how it had been got and given to her, and apparently onlookers, who were there at the time when, when he, he came and saw it, um, she put it in his hand and, and some people said that he looked really emotional and she looked quite anxious and a bit sort of, um, what's the word, sort of... Um, guilty? Not guilty, but like a bit, she was looking at him quite sort of motheringly, like carefully, you know. Oh, right, okay. Um, And he apparently gave it back to her and he said, it is to me, ma'am. The greatest pleasure, thus, to have the opportunity, as a loyal subject, of myself tendering to my sovereign the Koh-i-Noor. Mm. and then he would never see the diamond again. <sighs> I know, it's yeah, it's it's a pretty. I don't know about juicy. This is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I know it really is. And then oh, when okay. you say... new
0: plants, please. <clears throat> <laughs> a
1: new box of tissues, it's, please. It's a long way from new pants, please, this one, it isn't really it? really is. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. New territory, please. Anyway. Yeah. The coming or quickly became not only the most uh, famous diamond in the world, but it also really became the most famous object for standing for the British Empire. You know, this is a, mm. it's a symbol of, like I said, you know, Vic- Victorian Britain's, just power over the world and and its ability to just storm into anywhere it likes pick up the stuff at once and take it away mm-hmm. as a kind of triumphant sort of you know i guess yeah spoil of war or or, or yeah trophy if you like really so since it's gone into the collection the royal collection um it has the, the curse has been very strictly adhered to so only women have worn it so queen victoria wore it as a brooch as i mentioned and then as an arm bracelet as well now <laughs> this is so when you go to the tower of london in the case with her um her tiny little crown do you remember there's the arm bracelet there and it's mm. got three diamonds in a row yes so there's in the middle is a replica of the Or, that's where it would have been and then two smaller diamonds not that small, uh, on either side of it. And so she'd have worn it as a, you know, like an arm brace. A good, I suppose, if you're going to get into fights, you just smack someone with your arm. But Well, which know. I'm sure she did. Well, almost certainly. bit of a scrapper. She was uh, she was tasty, was Queen Vic. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: it then went into the crown of Queen Alexandra, who was the wife of Edward Seventh. Good name, that, Alexandra. Yeah. Then it went into the crown of Queen Mary, the wife of George V. Then it went into the crown of the Queen Mother, the wife of George VI. So since Queen Vic, it's gone into the consort's crowns. Uh, The Queen Mother wore it at her coronation, at the coronation of her daughter Elizabeth, so our current Queen. And then when the Queen Mother died, the crown also rested on top of her coffin at her funeral as well. Mm. So the last time that it was used or seen in public outside of the Tower was in 2002, 20, 20 years ago. Because that's the last time it was used by the God. Queen Mother.
0: And, you know, there's been a lot of press over the past few years. You know, it does bubble up every now and then, doesn't
1: it? About, mm. you know, where the koh really should be and yeah. India wanting it back. Absolutely. And the, th- the the problem with that is it's not just India who wants it back. Pakistan mm. also claim uh, have a claim to it. There's other countries as well that have a claim yes. to it. And one of the problems is that because it's been around for so long and it's been through so many hands... A lot of the lands that lay claim to it don't really exist in the same way anymore or they've changed, named and changed yeah, names. yeah and... and and so it's there's a lot of people that given how you know countries and, and borders and things have changed okay but anyway um yeah and there has been a lot of talk about you know just artifacts generally that have been taken under nefarious circumstances for museums and things around the globe and it, it does play into that conversation um, as to what should be done with it, and at the moment, it's standing firm in in the royal collection. Very firm. Very firm. And but I have to say, whenever I've had Indian guests, um, they've wanted to go to the Tower of London, and they've wanted to see not the Crown Jewels. They wanted to see that. They wanted to see yeah. the Kohinoor Diamond, because it is incredibly important uh, for people of Indian heritage. As hopefully this story will uh, will show why. And this story is out there, you know. Yeah. Um. i mean the fallacies about the um the diamond there's <clears throat> there's all sorts of you know bits of info that are um they say one thing and actually it's not quite true and there's lots of you know legends and rumors about it um what i i've debunked those in here like we haven't the the, the i've done quite a bit of research into what's true and what's not um and this is as i understand it the truest form. uh here we go so there's there's the myth that the koe comedor- nor is the most famous or important Indian diamond, and actually it's not. You've got those other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a myth that it was a flawless diamond and actually the, the cutting down uh, by, well, not by Albert, but on his um, orders, uh, cut out a couple of flaws. There was, um, you know, some other little flecks and things in it. Um, there was one that this was the Mughal's most precious treasure. Well, we've heard that it's not because that they prized um, coloured gems higher. So there's quite a lot of fallacies about it. Um, But hopefully this is kind of The main, sort of going through the main Bit of the the, the truth of the stories But it's a really It's an uncomfortable story, really It is very uncomfortable, isn't it I don't know if
0: the way around It would be, and I'm quite happy to get You know, in touch with the Tower of London And the Queen (laughs) Um, Just let it go on tour you know, let it, let it move around the world. Don't let it ever be still for too long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's the thing is, I mean, you know, as well as I do, that crown jewels aren't allowed out of the country, you know? Well, yes, yes. But as I say, Gee. I'm I'm
0: happy to talk to her. Happy, um, to, happy to try and make a deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, I, I don't, uh, yeah. Could try and get let's, the queen on. I don't know. Yeah. Let's ask her. Let's ask her. See if, yeah. uh, see if Liz will pop on. Um, yeah, I mean it is it's a it's a it's a horrible story. It's a grubby story. It's one that's really uncomfortable. But again, it's the kind of thing that that those stories need to be out there because they do. it's it's the truth. And I do think that especially you know our our history. We've got so much rich history here, but oh my God, we've done a lot of dodgy stuff to people. We have.
0: It's rich, but is it rich because we've stolen from? Richest.
1: Rich, yeah, it's rich, but there's some sludge at the bottom, isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. It's, and, and... Oh, yeah,
0: there is. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of, you know, sifting through the gold, through all the <laughs> the dirt and grit.
1: Yeah. So I think it's important to tell those stories. But there Yeah, you go. absolutely. Oh, my God. And I should say, the next time that we anticipate it being worn is at the coronation of Prince Charles. Because mm. in theory, it should be in the crown of the next consort, mm-hmm. which would be Camilla. Mm. So in theory, that would be her crown. Wow. Yeah. There we go. Do you know, I, I knew about the
0: koh or bits and bobs, but um, I don't think I knew how sad this story was. <laughs> I know.
1: Sorry, I've ruined your evening now, haven't I? <laughs> no,
0: I'm just, I'm, in my mind, I'm on the travelator in the Tower of London, going past all of the the crowns and jewels and things, and it's it's just so interesting that it's you're going to take there. another look at that one
1: now, aren't you? I mean, I it's, really am. Yeah, I really, really am. Wow, and there's, you, there's interesting stories behind, like the Cullinan and this, that, and the other, but they're a bit more straightforward. The the Currie mm. one is is a is a varied and bloody, let's say, bloody history, and and you know, bit of skullduggery in there.
0: Wow. Well, there we go. That was.
1: That was fantastic.
0: And thank you, Grace, for emailing us. Thank and, you. And, you know, letting us know about your, your family and Absolutely. watching this, this kind of episode. So, yeah, yeah that was great. Podcast so, yeah, was great. Pedestal. So, Podcast Pedestal, yeah. what are you going to go oh, for? So many things. Well, it's your turn
1: this week. Oh, is my, yeah, first. it's your, your yeah. rule, isn't it? Yes. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to... Oh I don't know. Uh, I mean I I feel like I want to go back to No, I know exactly what I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for that 11-year-old Duleep Singh in the Mirrored Hall in Lahore being forced to sign that sign that treaty in which there's an entire clause about him handing over the diamond. That's so it's a... it's the the yeah, Duleep Singh signing the treaty.
0: That's a biggie, or, isn't
1: it? I don't want to say signing the treaty, being forced to sign the treaty, because let's face it, that's the truth.
0: God, there are so many croxy points yeah. in this story. I really... I think... Mm, maybe Dulip's father dying. Ranjit Singh, yeah. Yeah, because then at that point, you know, at the age of five, mm. that's when the Brits think, OK, let's pounce. Yeah. But I'm also really swayed by Queen Victoria and Dulip having that moment and him touching the koh for the very last mm. time. Yeah, it's quite an image of that, isn't it? It is. I'm also... <laughs> There's so many points like Wellington and his big fat sword. I know it wasn't a sword. <laughs> Can't stop thinking about it. Um... What do you reckon? I think.
1: I think him holding it for the last time. Yeah, okay. And giving it back and sort of going, it's my honour to give this to you myself. Yeah, because it sounds so so dignified and incredibly humiliating as well, really, let's face it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think,
0: yeah, touching the diamond for the last time. But, of course, he didn't know. Yeah. He didn't know that would be the
1: last time. Maybe he did. But, yes, yeah, that's my yeah. one. That's my pick. Fabulous. So those are there's your options, gang, this week. So it is either um, him signing, being forced to sign that treaty when he was about 11 years old in Lahore, which signed over the, the diamond, or the very last time he touched it when he's with Queen Victoria and he says very demurely, it's my honour to give you the time in myself gosh go. <laughs> wow two very strong picks <laughs> two very strong picks I think this week amazing wow thank you so
0: much Alex that the was pleasure. um I, well just and enlightening <laughs> and yeah yeah just really sad <laughs> I
1: know yeah it's a lot a lot I'm sadder go than i expected actually <laughs> I, I mean I knew so, like I knew it was that's oh, yeah, gonna go so, into my dreams. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, dear. any parish notices before we uh we crack on? Well, I do
0: have a big parish notice. Don't tell me you're pregnant again. No. <laughs> <laughs> the wheel of destiny has broke. It has. <laughs> it has. So um yeah, I've had a bit of an accident. Um <laughs> And I'm not gonna see the text I, I got this week. I'm not, gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna dwell on it too much. <laughs> but it's okay because Amazon exists, although I hate <laughs> giving money to Amazon. Um, so I have because I thought, shall I make another one? I was like, do you know what? I'm a mum now, I ain't got blooming time. So <laughs> so, so craft night wasn't an option. So I have purchased another wheel. Woohoo! Um and this one has not got as many segments. We can um, divide them down more. It's fine. We can divide, divide them down more. But um, yeah, what I really want to do or what we want to do is, is ask you guys, you know, if you've got any questions at all, um, whatever that might be.
1: Um, well, yeah, anything you want to ask, it be it about us and the podcast or be it about something that we've talked about or even if you want to ask us a really bad joke or something i don't know or a challenge whatever you fancy oh yeah if you want to put in challenges oh, challenge. be exciting. Yeah, be exciting, isn't it? and
0: then on the podcast i'm going to write um the different different things that you've you've put in on the wheel and yeah. then we'll spin it and then uh we'll have
1: to do whatever it tells us to do <laughs> Yeah, so send can them in. You can either email scary. us um at gmail.com. You can drop it in on uh, the Instagram as well. You can text us if you know us directly. Um, anything, yeah, if you want to um, amass some questions, anything you want to know, anything you've wondered about, um, or whatever, send them in. And then what we'll do is we'll do a little kind of spin each week and see if you know what questions we're going to answer. Yeah,
0: brilliant. Woohoo. Great. So that, yeah, that's my big parish notice.
1: Big parish notice. Amazing. Well, my parish notice is that I have some tours coming up um, and I can't remember what they are, um, but let's find out. Um, I have some public tours. So, oh gosh, the 19th of February is the first one. Uh, It's Saturday morning, it's 10 a.m. and it is Harlots, which uh, we've got a few people sign up for already. It's a really fun one. Um, and then the following week, on the 26th of February, I have two. I've got one in the morning at 11 o'clock, which is street art, and one in the afternoon at two o'clock, which is Smithfield and Clerkenwell. And that is blood and guts and sacrifice. Ooh, and now that, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and then that's it for the time being. That's it for February. So if you want to come on a tour, let's
0: do it. Let's do it, guys.
1: And I think we've got people booked in on all of those already, so that's really fun. Excellent. But yeah, do come Get and have a little um, have a little walk. It's super quiet in London right now, so it's really nice time. Yeah, a good time. And, uh, good time to and do tours. The patrols. weather is phenomenal. It is, isn't it? Really so blue. Nice. It's been lovely and blue out there. Gorgeous. Like being on being in the Caribbean, but just a bit chillier. Yeah, just a bit chillier. Yeah. Anyway, the wheel of destiny. So obviously,
0: it's my pick. Woohoo! For next week um, but because I haven't sorted the wheel out properly <laughs> um, I've decided to go for something um, that is connected to where Alex and I went this week
1: oh we're doing old operating theatre next week we're doing old operating theatre oh fantastic theater.
0: yes Alex and I was uh, very lucky to go there together yep. last week and um yeah, it's got a fascinating history. Yeah. Um, so and we yes. did a great,
1: a lovely little interview with uh, a lady called Monica who works there, talking all about it. So, uh, yeah, that's great because we were thinking we'd do that one soon, weren't we? Yeah. So, yeah, do that next week. Beautiful. And it is genuinely an amazing spot. So, uh, we're going to tell you all about what it was and uh, why it's really quite special and how it was secret. Mm. and you time. can go it is a museum it's okay yeah. to anybody we'll tell you all about that next week
0: mm. well that's it for this week well there we go fantastic thank you so much Alex thank, thank you everybody thank
1: you for coming and listening we would love it if you would tell people about the podcast um, and, and if you can leave us a review as well you know to, uh, we're, we're trying to get to more people it'd be really great if you get two seconds just to rate us quickly even if you've done it before you can rate again Um, and please 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 do tell people about the podcast we'd love to have more people come along and listen um so tell any of your friends um we did have somebody message us who said uh i've I listened to it and I told all my friends about it but it's annoying because now I can't tell them things because they've already heard it.
0: (laughs) Oh. Well, I tell you what, we are thinking as well at some point that we're going to get some merch. So it'd be great actually if, um, you know, we'll have some competitions and get some t-shirts out there and then you can really shout about it because it will be on your t-shirt. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. But all that to come. All that to come. Have a wonderful week, team. We'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Lots of love.
0: Bye.